Years ago, when I was younger, I kind of see myself way back then as someone who was an answer kind of guy. And what I mean by that was I was always focused on getting and having the right answers to life and especially being a young pastor to God about God, you know, having, getting the right answers. And foolishly, I assumed I had most all the right answers. I mean, you got a question about life, especially a question about God, I can hook you up, right? There's some pride in that, <laughs> some immaturity, inexperience of youth. I was quite naive. But through the years, the older I've gotten, here's what I'm, I've learned and I'm continuing to learn. Just how much I don't know and just how much I have yet to learn. And I'm okay with that now. The older I get, the more comfortable I'm becoming with the things I don't understand. I don't always like it. But I don't expect to always know it and understand and have the right answers. And, I, and I, I'm learning just how much I have to learn. And I'm learning. It's not always just about the right answers. It, a lot of times, starts with the right kind of questions. So let me, let me show you what I mean. I think we all need to understand this right here, that every decision is not about right or wrong. Most decisions, I believe, are about this or that. Now let me explain, because if you're like me and I'm like you, you know, we like things that are pretty easy, cut and dry, black and white, you know, and it's just not so hard. I believe that most, and in my experience, not only as a person, but as a pastor helping others, most decisions we labor over and get so frustrated with and are so difficult are not necessarily about right or wrong. Most of them are about this or that. And if you will listen to what you say, you'll know that's true. We say things like, well, I could see it either way. I could do it this way or I could do it that way. I mean, I could see both working out. Both options, I could say, are good options. I could take this job or that job. I could buy this car or this car, this house or that house. I could date that person or that person. I mean, both are pretty good options here. So it's not just about right or wrong. It's a little bit more layered than that. So you're looking for what's best. And when you're looking for what's best, great questions can help bring focus. Great questions can help bring clarity and help you know how to think. In fact, I'll push it one step further. I believe great questions lead to great decisions. If you will learn and I will learn how to ask ourselves and to wrestle with great questions, it leads us to great decisions. Now here at the summit, I'm going to be straight up front with you. We're not trying to give you all the right answers. If you come to us looking for all the right answers, you're going to be disappointed. Here's why. We don't have all the right answers. We don't get it right every time, all the time. But I'll tell you this. We're committed to helping you discover the right kinds of questions to ask because we believe that God's Spirit works in our hearts and our lives when we are moving down the path 
of asking and wrestling with the right kinds of questions. In fact, we don't have time to get into all these detail right now, but let me just throw this in there. If you were to watch Jesus's ministry in the New Testament of the scriptures and listen to Jesus and how he, and, and paid attention to how he interacted with people, Jesus led the conversations with people so often by asking questions. Not just going around giving answers. Let me tell you what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Ah, don't do that. Oh, you need to do this. Ah, you know, no, no, you'd think, I mean, if you knew everything, you could just go around kind of handing out directives. He didn't. He asked questions. In fact, so many times when people ask Jesus questions, do you know how he responded? He responded by asking them a follow-up question. It was like this unending round of Jeopardy. Like, what do you think? What do you think? Oh, what do you think? What about this? Well, what about that? You know, and that's just one of the things that, you know, puzzled people about Jesus. But Jesus knew if you get people thinking about the right kind of questions. The problem I have and the problem you have is we get stuck asking the wrong kinds of questions. We do. We get in a cycle of, it's not that we don't ask questions. We do. I mean, it's just kind of natural. We, we ask questions, but we don't ask good questions. We don't ask great questions. We ask the wrong kinds of questions. Like we're so focused on being comfortable in life, even Christians, sometimes especially Christians, we're so focused on convenience, we'll start with questions like, well, what's the easiest? Or what's the quickest? What's the easiest and quickest way to do this? What's the easiest and quickest way? What's going to be the easiest? What's going to be the quickest? And I'm not saying it's bad if it's easy, and I'm not saying if it's bad if it's quick. I'm just saying that's often the wrong kind of question. If you go around making decisions based upon what's easiest and quickest, you're probably not going to make the best decisions. Or maybe out of exasperation, you're like, hey, Siri. Hey, Google. Alexa. Right? <laughs> do, you, do you know my two-year-old grandson knows who Alexa is? And he's never seen her. It's amazing. Or maybe in, de in your decision making, you are so, especially if you're an adolescent, and I'm not picking on adolescents. I'm, in some people's definition, I'm still an adolescent. Right? I'm younger than I look. No, in adolescence, this is the curse of, all, of, of youth. Where you're really concerned about what other people think. So when you're asking questions, you're like, what do they think? What do they think? What do they think? What do they think about this? Or what are they doing? So whatever she's doing, I want to do that. Whatever he's doing, I want to do that. Because we're so focused on being accepted and liked, it, it, felt, it really determines a lot of the decisions we make. That's not the good way to do it. Sometimes we're just trying to minimize the effect or the influence that our decisions have on other people. So we ask questions like, well, what will it hurt? Is it really a big deal? I'm sure it's not that big of a deal. I'm sure they'll get over it. Or maybe you're so selfish and so full of pride and you're so self-focused that you've got some decisions in front of you and you're wrestling with this. Well, what about me? What about what I want? What about what I think? What about my hopes and dreams and me, 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 me? Not, not that your hopes and dreams are bad. Not that those things are wrong. But if the filter that you place in decision-making is just what do I want, what about me, what about me, what about me, you're not going to go down the right path. Eventually, that's going to turn around and not be so good. Or maybe you're looking to God, right? Here's, here's what we do a lot of times, especially Christians. We want God to make it easy for us. Like, show me a sign. 
Show me a sign, God. God, if you could just give me a sign, I'll do whatever and I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I promise, God, if you just show me a sign. And I know some of you are frustrated right now because you think God gave you a sign last week. You saw the face of Jesus in your bowl of cornflakes. Okay, okay, I'm not going to deny that. I just want you to ask yourself another question. Was that before or after the meds? Before or after the meds? Because that, either way, maybe you need some or it's the after effects. Anyway. Or it could be when you're making a decision, you ask what often becomes the most common question, especially Christians ask. Now, before I put this up here, okay, I'm just going to tell you, don't get up and walk out. They're like, what? No, no, just hang with me. I'll take you somewhere. Just hang with me. We often are like, what, what does the Bible say? What's the Bible say? Well, I want to know what the Bible says. Pastor, what's the Bible say about that? Now, be very clear. Go back to last week. If you missed last week, go back and listen to last week. We want to do what is honoring to God. And one of the ways we discover what is most honoring to God is through his word. We read his word, we learn his word, and we discover God's ways and the way God does things and the way God interacts with people. And we hear God's commands and we learn God's principles and we learn what is honoring to God. There's nothing wrong with the question, what does the Bible say? But sometimes our attitude and the real motive behind asking that question is not It reveals that it's not the right kind of question, the best question to ask. Because here's what we do. Here's what we we do. Christians, listen up. We look in the Bible and we pick and choose stuff that the Bible says to answer questions for our lives today. We pick and choose, pick and choose. No, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that. Oh, that seems to fit, I'll take that. And I'll take a little bit of that and I'll take a little bit of this and to justify whatever it is we want to do. And you got to be very careful when you're doing that. You better be very careful to understand the context of whatever you're reading in the Bible. You better understand the context of what's going on as you pick and choose stuff and know the context of what was going on back then before you try to copy that and apply it into your life today. Let me give you one example. Let's say you have some decisions to make in your life on how to deal with a difficult person. Like they're obnoxious. They're causing pain in your life. In fact, they're so difficult, you might even put them in the category of an enemy. (gasps) They're your enemy, right? You go to school with her and she's your enemy. You work with him and he's your enemy. They're in your family and you eat dinner with them and they're your enemy, right? So how how do you make decisions when you're dealing with an enemy? How do you treat your enemy? What does the Bible say? What's the Bible say? Well, it depends. Depends. If you're reading in the Psalms, like I am right now, and just just not because I'm studying or anything, just reading in the Psalms, you'll see how David responded to his enemies. He prayed that God would break their teeth. Maybe I should try that. Okay, a little bit later on, he started praying against their parents. He was like, God, don't ever forgive the sins of their mother. He went yo mama on his enemies with God, right? He did. May their fathers be childless. Like, what? What what Wouldn't that mean that they don't exist? That's kind of weird. I don't know what that means. I mean, he just kind of teed off on, on these people. 
So is that the way? That's in, and in other places of the Old Testament, God told Israel to drive out their enemies. Kick them out. Annihilate them. Is that the best way to? Is it, so if you're going to pick and choose, you, whoa, you better know what's going on there. You better understand what's going on. And you better know that David is just venting and that David is actually displaying a poor attitude. You better understand that and spend more time listening to what Jesus said about how to respond to your enemies and how to make decisions with your enemies because Jesus said what? Love them, forgive them, bless them, serve them. So what does the Bible say? Well, it depends. You better know the context. It's not always the right kind of question. By the way, most of the time when people ask me that question, what's the Bible say, what the Bible say, they're asking that question because they're trying to prove a point with somebody and they're just looking for ammunition, or they're just looking for the line to, not to cross because they don't want to get in trouble with God, you know. They want to get as close to the line as they possibly can. Well, where's the Bible say? Okay, I'll take a half-inch step back from that, and I'll just live right here on the edge because they don't want to, like, you know, God get them and everything. Most of the time when we ask that question, we're not looking to do what's best. In the first century, Paul was dealing with a group of people that a lot of them were asking these wrong kinds of questions in the city of Corinth, in this church in Corinth. I mean, they were in a mess. They were dealing with all kinds of stuff. And some of the stuff they were dealing with is what we talked about last week. This, what do we do with all these dietary laws from the Old Testament? Because we're not Jewish. You know, if you're living in Corinth, you're like, well, I'm not Jewish and I'm, I'm a Gentile, you know, Greek and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, so I'm not a Jew, but I'm a Christian. So what do I eat? What I can't eat and all that. And then all this fussing and fighting over all this kind of stuff. And then people were saying stuff like, but I've got a right to do what I want to do. I've got a right. I've got my rights. Americans, we think that rights started with us. Like most things, Americans, we think the world revolves around us. We need to remind ourselves we've only been around for about 250 or so years. So we're pretty new to the party, right? Most people, most countries and nations were dancing long before we got an invite. Um, but, so it's, it's not just about, hey, what about American, you know, American rights? And I get all that. Okay, but these people way back then were talking about their rights. What about my rights? What about my rights? That's what Paul said. You say I have the right to do anything. Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Wait a second. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. When you're making decisions, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. It's not just about right or wrong. It's not about your right. It's more layered than that. You got to think about what's best. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Just because you have the right to do it, it might be unbeneficial and it might be destructive. So just because, see, so right there, Paul is beginning to put a layer of decision-making in place that goes beyond what's, you know, what's the Bible say, kind of what's right, what's wrong, where's the line? He says, no, it's not, not always that simple. You need to be finding ways and filters to help you make wise and best decisions. That's whole, so much more layered than right and wrong. So here's what I want us to do. For the rest of our time together today, that's what I want to help you with. I want to help you put some, a filter in place, because we're talking about filters here. Last week we talked about the God filter. I want to introduce a filter to you, since you're asking questions anyway, and we often don't ask the good kind of questions. Let's talk about some great questions that you can put in as a filter to your decision-making process. I'm not talking about when it's right or wrong, and it's really clear-cut, yeah, you know, you're not supposed to do that, and yeah, and, and that's pretty clear. I'm talking about when I can see it either way, I could do this or I could do that. 
Let's just kind of see how this goes. So here's some questions. And I want to begin, there's five of them, and I want to spend time just a little bit, real quickly, not much time, on the first one because it's a summary of last week. Last week we talked about that whatever honors God is best for us. So it would just go without saying, and if you miss that, you want to go catch up on our app or website. It just goes without saying to ask the question, what is most honoring to God? If you have a decision in front of you right now, like all of us do at some point, maybe finances or a, or a job decision or a health decision or a relationship decision, ask yourself, what's going to be most honoring to God? And then do that. Often that's the only question you need to ask because often that just clears it up. What is the most honoring thing to God? And then you go with that. Now, if it's not clear at that point, here's some other questions. Here's some other questions. Some of them are going to seem a little interesting. Some of them are going to seem a little bit more spiritual than others. But I'm telling you, these are great questions. Great questions lead to great decisions. Here's another question. Is this decision a 50-cent decision or a $50 decision? Kind of odd, isn't it? Well, I can't take credit for that. Um, this, 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 this question came from our executive pastor, Eric Waldrop. That doesn't mean that's why it's odd. Um, no, Eric's a fantastic leader. One of, the, one of the best leaders I've ever had the privilege of working with in, 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 as a pastor for years. And I've known Eric for you know, over 20 years. So Eric's great at asking questions. It's one of the things he does best. Uh, I love it. We'll, we'll be in a meeting, a series of meetings, where we're not quite sure, should we do this, should we do this? You know, and it's kind of an impasse, and we're not kind of gridlock. And Eric will throw a question out. You're like, oh, you know, and now we're making progress again. It's one of the things that he does best. And I remember hearing him beginning to ask this question. And I was like, that's a brilliant question. Is this a 50 cent or a $50 decision? This doesn't necessarily tell you what you need to do. And if you're in business, business leaders, listen, this is huge. It helps you know what I need to spend time and energy and focus on. If you're married, this is a big one. If you're a parent, this is huge. Is this a 50 cent decision or a $50 decision? Because here's the deal. You don't want to waste time on a 50 cent decision. Make it and go on because there'll be tons of those. And you don't want to gloss over a $50 decision because that's a big deal. What's the difference between them? 50 cent decisions is about stuff. Most of the time about things, about the what, you know, schedules and things like that. And we get all bent out of shape over 50 cent things. $50 decisions are almost always about people, about the who. And you don't want to gloss over decisions that have something to do with the people in your life that love you and whom you love and are in relationship with. This 50 cent or $50 decision. Let me give you a quick example. Who you marry. Anybody want to take a stab at what kind of decision that one is? <laughs> $50 at least. Maybe 51. That's a biggie. All right, now listen very carefully. In contrast, listen, especially if, if you're a young lady and you're not married yet and you have hopes and aspirations of getting married, who you marry is a $50 decision. The details of your wedding, those are all 50 cent decisions. Don't you wish those cost 50 cent, right? You'll spend all your time and energy, much more time and energy on the details. Oh, the pictures, and then we're going to do this, and we're going to do a reveal, and then we're going to do this over here. We're going to pick a picture and hold hands around the door, and it's just going to be nice. You would be shocked at the shenanigans 
of weddings, and I've seen them evolve through the years, and nowadays it's just ridiculous, you know? Spend all this time and money on, on this is 50 cent stuff, and you get all bent out of shape on 50. Hey, listen, husbands and wives, do you know what you fight about most of the time? Anybody want to take a stab at this? 50 cent stuff. You forgot this, you forgot this, you forgot, and did, no, I didn't, you were supposed to, no, you were supposed to time and schedule, time and schedule details, where are we eating for dinner, and you didn't do this, and you didn't do this, and I can't believe you, you didn't tell me she called, and you didn't know he was, and blah, 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 50 cent, 50 cent, 50 cent, 50 cent. Now, $50 stuff, that's worth the conversation. Decisions about how you treat people, $50. Decisions that control what people think of you, 50 cent, because you can't control what people think of you. Are you with me? You tracking? Okay, Let, let's move on to number three. If you don't know, if you don't know what decision to make, you, you need these filters. What's most honoring to God? Is this 50 cent, $50 decision? I love this one. This one helps me a lot. What will I wish I would have done? What am I going to wish I would have done? This is thinking forward, thinking about the aftermath, thinking about the outcome, thinking about the end result, having the end in view. Because at the end of every decision, especially $50 decisions, you're going to say one of two things. I wish I had, or I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did slow down and ask for advice and get more information. Or I wish I would have slowed down and asked some advice and get some more information. I, I'm so glad I waited. I'm so glad I hit the pause button and just waited for things to play out and, until it was a better time. I'm so glad I didn't push, 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 and just, just do it. Or oh, I wish I would have, wish I would have, wish I would have waited. Because if I would have known then what I know now, I would have waited. Are, are you tracking with me? Think through it now. Listen, what will I wish I would have done? Henry Cloud is a Christian psychologist and counselor. In one of his recent books, he puts it like this. He says, play the end of the movie. When you're in a situation and you're trying to make a decision, go ahead and play the end of the movie. How is this going to end? Where do you think this is going to lead? Go ahead and play it out. It's another way of saying, what will I wish I would have done? You know, the wisdom that we get from the scriptures, so powerful here. Let's look. David says, God, in a prayer, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. This is where his attitude, and I said, you know, we talked about his bad attitude before, you know, break their teeth, hurt their mom, you know, don't help their mama kind of thing. But, and this is a, an example of David's attitude being right, and he's praying. And he's like, God, I need you to teach me to number my days so that I may gain, we may gain a heart of wisdom. Why do you need a heart of wisdom? To make decisions. Now, this is not just about, God, help me to know that my life is going to be short and I'm going to die one day. No, it's bigger than that. He's saying, God, help me to think about the end in view. Help me to live today with tomorrow in mind. Help me to live today knowing and thinking about the end result. What am I going to wish I would have done? All right, let's keep going. The last two questions that you want to put in a filter. I mean, if you get through these first three and you're still, not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. These last two should bring great clarity. And I can't take credit, again, for these last two. These last two questions are questions that... I've been introduced to, and our staff team, we talk about these often. I was introduced to these by a pastor in Atlanta of North Point Church, Andy Stanley. He's a fantastic leader, 
Great communicator, one of the best in the world, in my opinion, and I have learned so much from him through the years, and so, so, so much of, of what he has written and what he has said has just been a mentoring kind of thing for me through the years. And, and these last two, are, he was the first one I, I've heard ask these questions. Now, he would say they didn't originate from him, because he's, he's a very humble teacher. He would say these come right from the Word of God, and, and, he's, and he's right. But this next question, I, I remember when I heard him ask this question, what is the wise thing to do? When you, are ha- you have a decision to make, what is the wise thing? The wise thing, not the easiest thing, not the quickest thing, not the most popular thing. What is the wise thing to do? He actually wrote a whole book on this, and here's the book. The book is called Ask It. If you want a great book to read and you have some decisions to make, the whole premise of this book is asking what he says is the best question ever, which is what is the wise thing to do? And he breaks it down into three categories. He says, considering your past experience, what is the wise thing to do? Your current circumstance, what is the wise thing to do? And considering your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? In other words, when you look at the situation and you think about that situation and you think about, okay, this is where I've been, this is what I've learned in the past, and this is what my situation is now, and this is where I hope to go and be one day, then what should I do here. What's the wisest thing to do considering all that? So you got a job decision? What's the wise thing to do? Maybe it's a better job with more money, but it takes you away from home a lot more. What's the wise thing to do? I don't know. Think about it. Past. What's your past experience? Maybe you had a dad who was never home. What's your, what's your current situation? Maybe you have a marriage that's not doing so well and kids you never see. What's the wise thing to do? Maybe you've told your kids in the future you hope to be present more in the home with them and together. And just, just one example, just one example. Considering your past, present, and future, what is the wise thing to do? See, this is beyond right and wrong. Okay, it's not like if I choose this job, I'm going to be happy and God's going to bless me. But if you choose this job, God's going to strike me down dead. It's not like that, right? What is the wise thing to do? With this opportunity in front of you. Jesus' little brother, James, we saw this last week, the beginning part, but I want to come back to it and then I want to see the rest of it because he describes what wisdom is. James, Jesus' kid brother, wrote to the first Christians in the first century, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to describe what kind of wisdom it is. And this is so important because a lot of times people will say, I feel like God wants me. I feel like I've heard from God and, and God wants me. And then what they get ready to say and do next is so ungodlike. It is so unJesus-like, And God gets blamed for a lot of stuff he had nothing to do with. Because just because, just because someone throws the God card down, it doesn't mean that they're on the right track. So if you get wisdom from God, the wisdom that God wants to give you looks a certain way. And here it is. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure and peace-loving, gentle at all times. Well, I believe God wants me to go in there and give them a piece of my mind and just let them know and throw down and walk out and drop the mic. Sure, if that's God you're listening to. How about that? Willing to yield to others? I feel like God's telling me I'm right. I feel like God's telling me I need to go in there and just push my weight around and just let them know who's boss. 
Wait a second. It's full of mercy. I think God wants me to go in and lower the boom. And the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. That's what the wisdom of God looks like. What's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? I don't know about you, but I want this to describe me. I want this to describe our lives. So what is the wise thing to do? Last question. If you get all the way through those first four, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Here's another question that I first heard posed by, again, Andy Stanley, but he would be quick to say, this really starts with Jesus, and he's right, because I'll show you, but here's the question. We've talked about it before. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? Wow, that's a clarifying question. Jesus, in his final moments, with his closest followers, said this. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Now now stop right there. Just imagine, just for a moment, if that's where it ended. If Jesus just said, love each other. You know what would happen? I'd come up with my definition of what love is. You'd come up with your definition of what love is. And everybody's got their own take on love. You know, and it's the question. You know, I want to know what love is. And I want you to show me. Remember? Or maybe you're thinking, what's love got to do? Got to do with it. I could go on. I won't. Aren't you glad? Jesus didn't leave love up to our own interpretation. He defined it for us. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. He didn't even say, just as I have loved them, you should love them. Mm -mm. He said, as I have loved you. So Jesus just doesn't want us to treat people the way he treats people. He wants to take it a step further. He wants you to treat people the way he's treated you. Share what you've received and the love Jesus. What does love require of me? Here's what I think you'll discover. That I will always know the right thing to do. I won't always be able to be able to tell you, even in my own life or other people, yeah, that's right, that's wrong. And you won't always know the right thing to do. We won't always know the right versus the wrong thing. But we will almost always be able to discover what love requires. What's the most loving thing to do? What's the most loving thing to say? Of both of my options, of all of the things in front of me, I'm not sure what's right. I'm not sure what's wrong. I'm not going to sure. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not, I don't know how this is going to play out. But I think that would be the most loving thing. Then do that. Because even if you don't know the wise thing, when you do the loving thing, it leads you to the right thing. What does love require of me? Whew, this is so convicting. So clarifying. Imagine if that was the question that guided the decisions you made in your marriage, especially as you relate to your husband or your wife. What does love require of me? Imagine if, if that was the mantra of your parenting. Doesn't mean everything's always soft and cushy. Love has to be tough sometimes, but it's tough in a gentle way. You can be tough without being a jerk. You can be gentle without being soft and a pushover. Doesn't mean you don't deal with the realities of life. What does love require of me? Wow. So you've got a decision to make. 
and you don't know what decision you need to make, run it through these filters. Run it through the filter of great questions. What is most honoring to God? Because I know you've got a question about a decision that you need to make. Do I do this or that? Okay, run it through this filter. What's most honoring to God? Maybe that clarifies it and you're off and running. If not, is this something that's 50 cent? You just need to make a decision to move on because there will be about 10 other 50 cent decisions waiting on you the rest of the day. Or is this a $50 one you need to stop and pause and really think through it? Ask advice. Slow down. Pray about it. What are you going to wish you would have done? Because you're going to wish something. Either you did or didn't. So do that now. And what do you think the wise thing to do? Considering the past, considering what's going on right now, and considering what you want and desire in the future. What is the wise thing? And above all else, defer to love. Defer to love. You'll never go wrong deferring to love. What does love require of me and you? Why is this so important? Because great questions lead to great decisions. Not perfect decisions. You're not always going to get it right because you're human. But more times than not, it'll put you on the right path to make the best decision that God has in front of you. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you in your decision-making process right now. But I want you to join me because you know the decision. See, you've got, you've got more information than I've got. I don't know the decision that you're trying to make. You know the decision you're trying to make. So does God. So while I pray for you in general, you pray for you specifically with that decision in mind. Dear Father, we come to you and we thank you for the wisdom that we can find in your word. And and you know us, how quick we are to run to the quick, easy fixes to just do what feels right, to do what other people think is best. And we get sidetracked in the wrong kind of questions quickly. Even even looking into your word to try to support what we want to do and what we don't. So Father, help us to put great questions as filters into our decision-making process. And help us to start with honoring you because that's always best for us. And help us to be honest about how much time and energy to put into small things versus bigger things, things that are not all that important and things that are monumentally important. Help us to discover the difference because that helps so much. Help us to think about the end and do what we wish we are going to want to have done looking back. So also, give us the wisdom. The wisdom to make the best choice considering past, present, and future. And above all, May I, may we together choose to do the most loving thing. So, Father, we look to you. Help us to make these filter-changing questions a part of our everyday thinking. And then we trust you for the results. With whatever decision we're trying to make, ultimately we trust you with the end result. In Jesus' name. Amen.